Hey, good morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time, like Ryan said, if you'll fill out one of those guest cards, uh, nothing weird, nothing uh, crazy. We just want to start a dialogue with you. Uh, if we don't have your email address and you want to get some updates about what's going on at the church and things like that, uh, make sure we have your email address. And uh, if you have moved, uh, let us know your new address. I was talking to a family this morning, and I'm going to go see their new house, and I'm going, I don't know where your new house is. Um, so we're going to, uh, if you have any updates, you can fill out one of those cards and uh, let us know. So I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going through our core value series. And uh, last week we taught on worship and I decided instead of just teaching to get it done, uh, I want us to slow down and uh, really understand it. So last week was kind of worship part one. And we talked about uh, the barriers to worship and this dialogue between Jesus and the woman at the well and uh, what barriers can come in the way for us just genuinely and authentically entering into worship. And uh, honestly, this past week, I was really challenged with even what I talked about, what I taught. Uh, God kind of, he, he took me to the woodshed, you could say. And um, I was struggling with, with some things that God and I had to get on the same page about. And uh, I love that about, uh, about God because he, he so desires me to have authentic, genuine worship, that he's willing to do what, what he has to do and to be a, a loving father, but also be uh, the disciplinarian, as it were. So if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 4, and we're going to continue this conversation that Jesus is having with the, the woman at the well. Today we're going to talk about what is worship. Uh, we get a lot of different ideas and formulate a lot of different opinions around worship and what it is, what it should look like. And uh, I want us to kind of teach through and understand some of, some of these things. Worship is a core value uh, here at the Creek. When Heather and I launched the church, when we prayed about, God, uh, where do you want us to be? What does this church need to look like? Uh, what is the foundation of it? We came out of the corporate world, and so organizational structure and vision and values are important. I believe God is a God of order, and so he sets those values and those, those core beliefs. And I think it's important for a church to have that organization to form itself around. I mean, Jesus is the head of the church. We're one body. There's one spirit. There's one baptism. We're all tied together. But we have to know who we are because there, there is a diversity of churches. Uh, you can leave this parking lot and probably drive right in the middle of another church within three minutes. And they're going to have a different uh, makeup. Jesus is still the head, I hope. Um, there's still one spirit, one baptism, and one body. But they have an identity. And Heather and I wrestled, what is our identity as a church? And what are the values? And uh, God opened up this, the, the stellar facility that we get to meet in, and I love it because he's kept us humble with it. It's been amazing for me to see what God's done in a daycare center, honestly. I would be the first one at the line when we got the call and said, hey, what about a daycare center? I'm like, keep looking. And um, uh, uh, God's just, it's been amazing. But the core values that we landed on through prayer and study and research are truth. Uh, Bible is the truth. Uh, it is the standard by which we measure truth. Uh, worship community, and that's us gathering, not in this room, but gathering true community is us having a connection with each other, um, not just gathering for the sake of gathering. When you have community, it's centered around a, a 
common like or dislike. Like, I don't know how to gauge you this morning. Either you're not Cowboys fans or you're DVR fans. And so we're, we're sizing, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, there's going to be community in Arlington around the, ta- the Dallas Cowboys. And so community happens when there is that collective love or hate, honestly, for something. And so we gather in community because of our collective love for Jesus. And then missional living. And that's living our lives with intention and focus. Not just saying we go to church or we're a part of the church. We are the church. And, and, and we do more effective work for the kingdom of God when we leave this facility. When all of the equipment gets packed up in the trailer and we go back to our life, our home, our jobs, schools, families, that's where the mission starts. And here we're encouraging each other and getting on the same page so we can go do what we're created and called to do. And so these values are, are at the core of everything we do as a church. We filter decisions. Uh, when, when we think about making any, any types of financial decisions, when we think about our strategy and looking long-term for the church, uh, our, our long-term goal is not to remain in a daycare center. We're going to grow up sometime, trust me. But we think these through these values. And if they don't meet the ability to accomplish these values For the glory of God, we're not going to do them. We're not going to waste the time. We're not going to waste the money. We're not going to waste the resources, whether that's mental resources, whatever. Uh, It's going to keep us lean, mean, and focused. And and I want us to to stay that way. Uh, I want us, when we think of the ministries God wants us to be involved with, um, it's not a matter of what's good and bad. It's what's good and best. And so we feel as a church that it is best to focus on these values, and we're going to do that. And uh, I want us to understand that. The, the church has grown tremendously over the last several months, and I want us all to be on the same page. I want you to know who we are um, because you are coming and you become a part of this church. You become a, a functioning part of a family. And it's important for us to understand what this family is about, what we stand for, why we exist, why we do the things we do. And so worship is what we're going to be talking about today. If you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you'll just wave at the person, uh, they'll send it down. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours. It's our gift to you. Um, we, we want you to have access to the Word of God. And when we taught about truth a couple weeks ago, it's important for you to read that. I'm giving you permission to not always take my word. Filter that through the word of God because I, I'm a fallen, broken person. I mean, I deal with sin, I struggle with sin, and I can have my own slant on how I want to read something. So you have access to truth. Measure that. You know, measure you with truth. If, if I got a problem, let's, let's deal with it. Come to me, let's talk, and let's wrestle with this and uh, get, it, get it fixed because it's about bringing glory to God. But John chapter 4, last week the the conversation starts with Jesus and this woman at the well, and he brings some barriers to worship. Uh, If you're struggling to get into worship with God, it's probably because you're you're doing one of these three things. If you didn't get to hear it, you can go back and listen. It's online, but it comes down to you're either digging from the wrong well, you're dealing with some unconfessed or unrepentant sin, or you're wrestling with some ignorance. And and honestly, I, I get challenged in all three of those areas. Because I don't always know enough about God. I I would be at the front of the line to say, I don't know that I should start a church because I don't know everything about the Bible. If you're waiting to know everything about the Bible, you're going to be waiting a long time. And if you're like me, I'll use that excuse not to get in the Bible. 
because that becomes my crutch. Well, I don't have to study because I get out of things. I get out of responsibility because I don't know. And, and ignorance can be bliss, but we're still going to be held accountable for it. I go to the wrong well, and I deal with sin. God has to work on me, and he'll say, hey, you need to resolve this. And sometimes he brings people into my life. Heather is able to speak truth into my life, and she, she knows my heart. She gets into my heart, and she's like, why are you wrestling with it? I don't know. I'm a man. I don't know these answers, okay? I can't get there. But I know there's something wrong that I got to get before God and just say, God, help me deal with this. Man, something's broken, and I need it fixed. And so Jesus is honest with this woman with these barriers. He's not condemning her. He's calling out the facts. He's not condemning, and I love that about Jesus. He's never going to say you've got a problem without him saying I'm the solution. He's never going to say this is broken without him saying, but I can fix it. I love that about God. So John chapter 4, we're going to look at what is, what is true worship, and uh, then we're going to talk about what that looks like uh, in life or at the, at, here at the creek and what it should look like. So what is true worship? John chapter 4, I'm going to back up to verse 21 uh, so we can kind of set some, some context here. But Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What he's saying is the spirit and truth, there, there, there's a connection that has to happen. Let me give you some context of the, of the conversation going on. Uh, he's saying you're not going to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem because it, God has opened up worship to, a, to just this new dynamic, a new dimension. Think about this. In, in the Old Testament, you have the tabernacle and the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. For one of the priests to enter into that, he would spend time praying and being cleansed and making sure he was spiritually right to enter into the presence of God. When he went in, they would tie a rope to his ankle and a bell around his foot. Because when he entered in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, if there was anything faulty in his life, he was dead. Because God cannot look on the sin. And the bell was, if the bell stops ringing, pull the rope and pull him out. Send another priest in. You know, it's almost like the pitcher or the manager going to the mound. Need another one. But when Jesus gave his life, when he was on the cross and he committed his spirit, when the, when the death was finished, when he gave his last breath, the veil, the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And God is saying, I have access. You have access to me. There is no longer this process of the tabernacle, but my spirit is available and everyone can come to me. I no longer dwell in the tabernacle or the temple. I dwell in the hearts of those who are my children. You and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's where the Spirit of God lives. When you think of the most holy of holies, it's right here. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to go to the mountain. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. A time's coming when it's going to be in spirit and in truth. And that time is now. And we've got to kind of get, get to this understanding. We can read scripture and say, well, Jerusalem or mountain, okay, what, what does that mean now? We can get so hung up on where we think worship needs to occur that we will miss worship. 
we, we've been a church for a year and a half, and we can get in this mindset that this building or this room is the only place that we can worship. If you, if you buy into that, you need to break free of that because that's junk. Worship is in spirit and truth, and, and what Jesus is saying is it's not on the mountain, it's not in Jerusalem, it's not in the daycare center. It's spirit and truth. God is seeking worshipers that have informed hearts and inflamed, uh, inflamed hearts and informed minds. What he's saying, in spirit and truth, there's a connection that has to occur. It's got to be a head and the heart thing. Uh, I've learned that there's two dispositions of people, and I'm not going to call any of them out. I'm not going to. I'm not going to expose anyone, but there is two dispositions of people. The first one is the, the intellectual. The intellectual, you, you are our readers and thinkers. Um, emotions can be viewed as negative because you don't want to be given into emotions. You want to know the facts, okay? The disposition spiritually with intellectuals are, show me the grid of God and where I fit on the chart. Let me read it, let me, let me think it through, let me absorb it, and, and I can get there. If, if we just had truth, if we would just submit to truth, if we would buy into truth, and we would follow the truth, we can get safely home. And then there are those of us who are the emotional side that'll say, why do you read so much? Especially when there's the movie. I'm going to confess something. I, I watched, I, I don't, I don't want to call it a chick flick because it was, it, it was kind of manly, but it was Water for Elephants. Um, great movie, but Heather had read the book. I'm thinking, well, why watch the movie? Actually, my disposition, why read the book when the, you know the movie's coming? You know, I, I can feel it. You know, I, I don't read and go, oh, this, you know, it doesn't play out in my mind when I read. I don't read real fast. Um, I will read a page and I got to go back and go, did I understand that? Did I absorb that? Heather has a Kindle. I'm not going that way. I'm old school. When I read, I need the satisfaction of on the page. I need to turn that bad boy. But I'm like, I'll watch the movie because I can get in there. I can feel it. So emotionals are more, we're, we're more the feelers. We're like the heart first type people. We're, we're thinking, why do you read so much? If we could just sing songs, sit around, hold hands, and feel it, everything is great. Why do you read too much? You're trying to absorb too much. God's never called me to be a theologian. Why does doctrine matter? And, and, and we, we come to this little bit of a clash on how to deal with these dispositions. Let me say this about theology and doctrine. Um, God has not called us to be geniuses, but he also hasn't called us to be morons. Uh, he's given us a head and an intellect, and he says, use it. He's given us a heart and emotions, and he says, use them. Everybody has an opinion about God. Some are just wrong. I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, if you go back in the Gospels, the three men that Jesus healed of blindness... You know, you've got one guy, think about these three guys coming together to talk about theology and doctrine, about how God moves and how God works and how God decides to do things. And the one guy says, well, when Jesus is going to heal you of blindness, he's going to touch your eyes. And the guy's like, no, he's not. 
He's like, if Jesus is going to heal you of blindness, he's going to spit in your eye. The other guy goes, you're jacked up. So if Jesus is going to move, if the power of God is going to heal you from blindness, he's going to spit in the dirt and make mud and rub it in your eyes. Now, the bottom line is the power of God is greater than any physical illness or anything on earth. And we can get hung up on this is how God moves. This is how God works. I love that Jesus did it in three different ways because he says, you're not going to pin me down to show or to explain how I move. You won't explain that, but you need to study this and understand the truth in this is that I desire people to be whole and healthy. And if I'm going to touch them, if I'm going to spit in their eye, if I'm going to make mud, the bottom line is I want a connection with my creation and I want them whole and well and reconciled. And so let's understand that regardless of our disposition, they both have to come to, to, to an agreement here. I, I will admit and confess that I'm more the emotional person. Uh, when I saw Heather for the first time, I said to my best friend, who's a, a thinker, reader, more the intellect, I said, I pointed at Heather and said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And he said I was full of something. But we were in church, so it wasn't bad, you know, but I saw her across the lobby at church. And I, I, I was being led by my heart. Now, he thinks I was being led by my stomach because she was holding a plate of chocolate-covered strawberries. Well... In the first century, they, they said this is where the emotions were because this is where you'd feel it in your gut, you know. Whether it was gut or heart, I don't know. But I saw Heather standing across the foyer, chocolate-covered strawberries, but I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And, and what happens is uh, my, my heart became inflamed, and it led and fueled my mind to seek more knowledge about her. Like, what's her favorite color? What is she like? What is she into? Who is she? What's her name? I mean, all of these things, I start trying to drive to this knowledge of who she is. With, with God, he says it this way. I want your hearts to be informed and your hearts to be inflamed. You are informed in your mind through the living word of God that you get in, you study, and you read. The Holy Spirit provides the inflamed heart. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and every day starts to grow your heart. And that, that inflamed heart creates the fuel for a growing mind. And what happens is they start to push and fuel each other. The more I love God, the more I want to know about Him. The more I know about Him, the more I love Him. I mean, that's, that's how my relationship is with Heather. I mean, we've moved way past favorite colors and, and what little basic things she likes. We talk about the depths of our soul. You know, what, what do you want to accomplish? What footprint do you want to leave on this world? We have partnered in raising kids together so that they make a footprint in this world. That moves way beyond favorite color. If we do that, we're going to get way past our relationship very quickly. Our, our marriage has to go deeper. Our spiritual life has to go deeper. And whether you lead with the head or you lead with the heart, at some point they've got to come into to a reconciliation because you're part, they're part of the same body. I mean, the, the worship, we tend to get into this, this idea of, I don't feel it. You know, we, we come into a, a room like this and the music starts playing and we have phenomenal musicians. And I love our worship. And I can get into it most days, but some days I can't. Some days I'm like, I just don't feel it. 
And, and if your heart is, I need the goosebumps all the time. I need the chills. I need that, that tingling that's going on. Well, you're looking for an emotional high from God. And you're not seeking anything spiritually. If you're married, reach over and grab your husband or your wife's hand. Just, just hold their hand. Don't go, oh, it's sweaty. <laughs> Ew. It's funny, when you're in elementary school, it's like, ooh, and you get married, it's like, ah, oh. and then you stay married for a while, and it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's the circle of life. I don't know. Um, okay, you're holding your spouse's hand, your wife's hand, your husband's hand, and you, you may not have felt that tingling of the first time that you held hands. I remember when I held Heather's hand the first time, and it sent a shock through my hand all the way to my heart, my head, and I'm tingling. I'm just like, this is the best thing I've ever felt. Well, the next time I held her hand, is you know, it's not there. If we start chasing that emotional high with God, he says that, that that's not going to happen. Our emotions, we're made <laughs> with emotion, intellect, and spirit. We have a body, mind, and soul. And, and our emotions are the most shallow part of who we are. And we're asking God to do his deepest work in our most shallow part. And God says that's not, that will destroy you. You will run and chase an emotional high for the rest of your life that God says, I, I'm not going to work that deep in your shallowest part. It's got to be spirit. It gets to the core of us. Your marriage, the emotions of your marriage and love and feeling love and, and with God and, and even with your kids or your job, life emotionally is all over the page. God wants to do something in our spirit that is consistent, is steady, is growing, but we may not always feel it. And, and when we come together with our head and our heart, we start to reconcile that God wants to do something deeper in us than we can imagine. If worship was based on emotion, we would leave here absolutely wrung out. Because in, in the context of one service, uh, the music could be like really exciting, that Gene's just shredding the solo, and you're just like, ah, you're bearing it all before God. I mean, I'm feeling it. And then I get up and I say something that might, that through the Holy Spirit, convicts you, and then you're like, ah, you're just down. Now you're on the dumps, you know? You're like, I can't do this anymore. You need to open altars now, you know? And emotionally, we'll just be all over the page. We will leave wrung out. We will leave going, does God love me? Does he he hate me? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? What's the deal? I don't know how to deal with any of this, and I'm done with it. And emotionally, we're spent. Spiritually, we're dead. And we've got nothing that's reconciling any of that to happen with true worship. Our intellect is never at odds with our faith, and our faith is not at odds with our intellect. God gave you a brain, use it. God gave you emotions, use them. But let God do something deep in you spiritually. Don't check your head at the door when you walk into church. I mean, God will work emotionally, but his deepest work is spiritually. God does want you to know things. He wants you to get in and study it and understand the things of God. And that's the revelation through the Holy Spirit. Let's read on, verse 25. The woman said... There's a little bit of confusion here. The woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So I can wait, and one day the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to fix all this. And Jesus says this. <laughs> Instead of I, speak, I who speak to you, I'm he. Let's translate it to, to now. That just happened. 
Okay, I just told you. I just fixed it. I, I, you're waiting for the Messiah to explain it. I'm he, and it's done, and it's, it's there. It just happened. Uh, let's go on, verse 27. Uh, just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's, let's understand some things. There's a change that's happened in this woman. She goes from hiding from her culture, hiding from the people that she lives with. She's out at the well at midday, not when it's customary. She's trying to avoid the people. I don't know. They, they may be condemning her. They may be pointing fingers. They may be trying to help her by calling out her sin. I don't understand everything that's going on. I do know this. She's there at an uncustomary time and interacts with Jesus. And when she sees Jesus for who he really is, she understands worship. I think when we see Jesus for who he really is, not our Americanized version, not our, not our, our uh, stripped-down version of somebody who is more tame for society, I think when we see Jesus for who he really is, we worship him. I mean, that's a natural response. I mean, there's something that happened in this woman for her to go back and to be vulnerable enough to interact with the people that were pushing her out. And maybe they weren't pushing her out, but she felt pushed out because she would not interact with them. And so she goes into the town. And then verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So what you've got going on is you've got the woman who doesn't, explain, doesn't understand what's going on. And Jesus unpacks it for her. He says, here it is. You've got the disciples that returned back to the well after they went into town to buy food. And Jesus is like, oh, I don't need anything. I already ate. I don't know if you're like me, but if... if I just went all the way into town to get you food and come back and you go, I don't need, that's okay, I just finished eating. Why did you send me for food? You know, the disciples are making this about a sandwich. And Jesus is explaining, guys, there's something way more going on here than that. You're focused on lunch. I'm focused on the kingdom and doing what God has called me to do. You know, let me let me say this. What I what I love about this is you've got the woman who doesn't know the gospel, who has not met Jesus, and the gospel is open to her. Then you have the disciples who have been following Jesus, and the gospel is opened even more to them. What what I love about this, the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, came and lived a sinless life, walked this earth walked the road to the cross, gave himself as a sin offering, a perfect lamb for our sin. He was placed in a borrowed tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit raised him on the third day. And the good news is this, is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can have a reconciled relationship with God. That's the good news. Here it's open to this woman who doesn't know it. It's opened even further to the disciples who'd been following the Messiah. 
You see, the gospel doesn't just save us, but it sustains us and has the power to carry us all the way through. <coughs> when, when we think the gospel just saves us, I think we minimize the power of God. Just to get us, yeah, I, I, in the song it said the rescued ones, and I get this picture of sinking in the ocean and, and Jesus pulling me into the boat. And we think of the gospel as salvation is just getting us into the boat. But the power of the gospel of Jesus doesn't just get us in the boat, but he takes us safely home. And so the gospel is a continuing process. It's continuing to fill us. And let me say this about the disciples. Uh, A lot of you do a lot of work in the church don't get so focused on the task that you miss the task giver. I mean, we have tasks where we unload a trailer, we, come, we roll in on Sunday mornings, we unpack all this and set this up, but it's not for the task. We do this because we are called to glorify God through lives changed. And we gather here and we handle the tasks that we do so that we can be focused on the task giver. And we can't, as a church, we can't, as followers of Christ, become so focused on the work that we miss God. Because otherwise, we will think life is all about a sandwich. And God will say, there's so much more going on. You're you're missing the point here. And so worship is this. It's opening your head and your heart to the saving, sustaining power of Jesus. That's the gospel. I'm going to skip down to verse 39 in interest of time, but here's what it says. Many of the Samaritans for that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed another two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Let me help you with this a little bit. Um, the, the testimony of this woman is what opened the ears and the eyes of the people in the town. You, you have uh, two races that, that are divided, the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a deep hatred. This was a disruption of travel plans to go through Samaria. Most Jews would travel the extra distance around to avoid interaction. So you have Jesus interacting with a woman. There's racial differences. There's gender issues. There's socioeconomic issues. There's a difference between a sinless Savior and a sinful woman. And Jesus goes right through the barriers of those. And he meets this woman where she is. She goes to the town. It's her testimony that brings the people to Jesus. And this is what the townspeople said in verse 42. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see, what she talked about, her interaction with Jesus, that's people said, I want to go meet this man. And then Jesus could meet them. You know, we think that, that we are the only ones responsible for bringing people to Jesus or that Jesus doesn't need us to bring people to himself. There, there's a beautiful 
action here going on. This, this is the gospel-bearing fruit. She goes in and shares. Think of the vulnerability. She goes into the town where she feels shunned and shares who this man is. They come out and they tell the woman, we believed because of what you said, he said, but now we have met him for ourselves." They're not riding on her coattails anymore. You, you've heard the, the saying that uh, preach the gospel as often as possible and sometimes use words. That's a cute saying, and I'm not minimizing our actions, but there comes a time when we have to open our mouth, when we have to share what God is doing. We don't condemn, we're not pointing, but we are sharing what God has done in our life and in our interaction with the Savior of the world. And people will say, because of that, I want to know more. And then the introduction happens. That's the gospel at work, gospel-bearing fruit. If you think about it, that's, that's all, of these, all of our values, all of these values wrapped up into one to glorify God with a changed life. You've got truth. Jesus is speaking truth. She goes and she speaks the truth to them. It's all done in love, without condemnation. There is worship. Jesus just unpacks and explains worship. She goes and re, uh, reintroduces herself into the community of this town and her mission became very clear. She left her water jar because she knew where to get living water and she went back to the people she felt isolated from and lives were changed as a result. This is the gospel bearing fruit through worship. So if we have issues with worship. We've got to check our emotions. We've got to check ourselves. And, and let's get just gut honest with Jesus. And has our head and our heart been reconciled with Jesus? Are we there with our heart? We're like, I'm all in, Jesus, but I don't know a thing. Or Jesus, I've studied this, but I'm not quite sure I can submit to it. There's got to be a reconciliation there. So what does it look like? I believe the first thing is organic. Organic worship is really the organization, the creek, the church, doesn't do anything around this. It becomes what happens in your everyday life. I want to read to you Romans 12.1. This is out of the message translation. I love reading the message translation because it brings it into a new understanding. It's a paraphrased translation. This is Romans 12.1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. In the NIV, instead of placing it before God as an offering, it's translated, this is our spiritual act of worship. Organic worship is what we do to glorify God. Our eating, sleeping, our, our mundane moments, the times when we don't feel emotionally high or we're not wrung out because we're emotion, emotionally low, but it's those everyday moments in life that we glorify God. And, and the church, the creek, can't put any structure around that. I mean, it's you driving down 35 or 820 with the windows down and... Worship music going and you're just belting it out. The wind's blowing your hair and you're just Jesus rock star in it, you know? It, it's, it's when I sit in my office and sp- I have Spotify, love Spotify, 
and I will just type in some music I want to hear, and I'm getting in this, and I will find myself slowly weaning from work and the task and drawn into the song and find myself just sitting there just like lost in thought or just reflection and thinking about God and worshiping God. Or husbands, it's grabbing your wife's hand and saying, I love you and I want to be the man that God has called me to be. Can I pray for our family? Can I pray for our marriage? I don't know what to do, but I can do this. The church doesn't drive that. You know, Heather and I like to go out and have a nice meal every once in a while, and it's a celebratory meal, and we like to, we like to go and we like to take it very slow, and we, we make that a worship experience. And we eat and we enjoy this food, and we, we're conscious every bite we take, we slow down because we want to be aware that, that this is what God has made. And the artistry of the chef has brought this together. And it's just a glimpse of the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's not what the church, this church, can organize around it. It's those everyday moments in life that we lay before God as our worship. It's those areas of our life. And we lay them before God. And that's the organic side. Then there's the organizational side. This is what the creek does organize. This is what your church organizes. And let me say this. The bulk of worship has to be organic. Organic worship stems and springs from a reconciled heart with Jesus, through Jesus. And there has to be organic worship happening in the community of believers for organized worship to have any significance. But when we try to make the organized worship the most significant thing of what our church is about, we've missed it. And we live empty lives Monday through Saturday, and we come in and we try to fill everything up on Sunday. And that's not enough to sustain us. And we will find ourselves worn out. We'll find ourselves trying to find emotional highs because that's the easiest to attain. But here's what I can promise you on the organizational side and what I commit to you as your pastor. And you have a team of people and you have elders that are here at the creek. And here's what we commit is that we will be prepared for the weekend services. I think it does a disservice to God and, and it, it just kind of smacks the face of the Holy Spirit when we come in unprepared. And we say, well, let's just let God show up and do what he wants to do. Monday morning, I begin praying for these services. I know that there are things that I can do and that, that I can affect in these services, but there are things that only God can do. And so I begin on Monday morning pleading with the Holy Spirit to do only what you can do. And, and you are prayed for. Many of you are prayed for by name. I know situations. Your situations are prayed for because there are things that only God can do. And I commit that you will be prayed for. If you need someone to pray for you in the service, we have a prayer room here. If you need a private place, we, find, we have other places. If you do not miss that opportunity to have 
someone pray for you. I can tell you that, that we will be ready for what God wants to do. I'm going to teach the Bible. I know that, that, that what I say in teaching truth, not everyone's going to like. But here's the bottom line. I'm more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing you. Because I will stand before God and I will give account for what I teach you. I'm not accountable for what you do with my teaching. You are accountable with what you do with the word of God in your life. But I will stand before God and give account for what I taught. And I can't blame ignorance. I can't say, well, God, this is what I thought you meant. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of drew these lines. And I, I think this is what you were trying to say. Or was doctrine really that important? Uh, was theology that important? I mean, you never told me I had to know it all. I mean, I stepped out and I launched the church. And he's going to say, I gave you the word of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. And I gave you a mind to think and to process and a heart to love. And I would much rather stand before God and say, based on your truth, I I may have missed the mark, but I taught the truth of your word. And I taught it pleasing you instead of man. I would much rather do that and ask God to forgive me for my areas of shortfall than to stand before, God, I just gave it my best guess. And God's not going to look at me and go, oh, thank you, Matt. I'm grateful you stepped out and launched a church. And man, people just liked it. And it was fun. It was cozy. and Just good job, man. And when you didn't know the answer, you just gave it a good guess. There you go. You just guess, buddy. Forget, you don't need the scripture or truth. Just guess. Just give it your best shot. I would much rather stand before God and say, I was accountable for this than to say, I didn't know what to do with your word. And I will teach the Bible. And we will organize ministry to glorify God. Our team, our elders, we will focus our work energy. This is my job. And I will focus my energy on the organization side of ministry. But that can only happen when organic ministry is happening in my life, in your life. We can't miss the greater things that are going on. Worship is a value for us as a church. Worship needs to be a value for you as a Christ follower, as someone whose heart has been transformed and changed by God. Worship should be a value in your life. When we come together, something great happens. And so here's, here's the challenge. You gotta live with an inflamed heart and informed mind because you can't do it all yourself. It is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit growing your heart, and it is you taking the initiative to grow your mind. And we're going to do this, and we're going to worship God, and, and, and God will decide what he wants to do. We don't say all this to drive certain behaviors. We say all this so we can focus and center in on the throne of God. And we can find that rest and find that peace in his grace. And let God do what he's going to do. And so with worship, we don't want to miss the greater things going on. And we're going to be responsible to do what we've got to do. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for this time together today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. 
thank you for the cross because that is our way of being reconciled. And Father, we uh, just ask for your forgiveness when we have tried to use our ignorance as an excuse, when we have tried to use our laziness for not reading your word and, and growing our mind, forgive us. And we ask that you do fill our hearts, that you just give us a passion. Some, some of us in this room, we lead head first and some of us lead heart first. Father, either way, you want the whole person. So help us through courage and humility and understanding, reconcile those. That for those of us that lead with the head, would you fill us so, so our emotions can follow and check. So that we not just read truth, but we submit to truth. That we give ourselves to you. Heart, soul, and mind. And Father, for those of us that lead heart first, would you give us the fuel and the energy to grow our intellect, to use our intellect, to love you with everything we've got. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for showing us and teaching us what worship is. And my prayer for us is not that we become emotionally needy Christians, but that we become mature worshipers who worship you in spirit and truth. We love you and we thank you. Thank you for giving us cause and reason to worship. And we focus that solely on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.